Each year, 40 to 60% of American adults suffer from chronic back pain. More than a million spine surgery procedures are performed annually in the United States, with medical costs to treat back pain approaching $24 billion per year. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stuart McGill. Dr. McGill is a professor of spine biomechanics and the chairman of the Department of Kinesiology at the University of Waterloo in Canada. He has been the author of over 200 scientific journal papers that address the issues of low back function, injury prevention and rehab, and performance training. Collectively, this work has received numerous scientific awards. He sits on the editorial boards of the journal Spine, Clinical Biomechanics, and Journal of Applied Biomechanics. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. McGill. Thanks, Leslie. It's uh, nice to be here. Dr. McGill, walk us through how you identify the best treatment for a given patient with back pain. I really don't do that. It's interesting. I act as a consultant. I deal with the failures. So as physicians have a very difficult case, they may ask me to provide them with a consult, and I provide back a a consultant's report, which may have a treatment plan in it. So that's just to clear that up, how I work. But there are all sorts of possible treatments. But before we even get into discussing the treatment, first and foremost, the doc has to describe what the cause of the back problem is and then work to get rid of the cause. That is 50% of the battle right up there. No one's treatment will work until you get rid of the cause. How do we do that then? (laughs) That's first and foremost, and you know that's so often a failure. Think of the patient who shows up. They've got forward flexion antalgia, a bulging disc, and more often than not, they might get, oh, I don't know, methocarbamol or some sort of muscle relaxant. And yet, that's not what's causing the muscle to spasm, and it won't work until the person stands up and gets the center of mass of their upper body over their hips. Then their muscles shut down. So do you see how a postural change addresses the cause, not the pill? So there's just an example right up front how important it is to address the cause. But how do we get at determining the best treatment? Simply put, we do provocative testing. What we do is try and identify the postures, the motions, and the loads that get the person to say, ouch. It's incredible to me when I get a patient in, they've been to 12 different flavors of physicians. And I say, would you show me what causes your back pain? They'll say, what, you want me to do this and show you my pain? And I said, yes. Haven't the other physicians asked you to show them what causes your pain? And they say, no. And that to me is a bit of an indictment. I need to know what posture, motion, and load makes them worse. Correspondingly, I need to know what postures, motions, and loads are tolerable for them. And then we can go into all sorts of stability testing to see which joints are stable and unstable, which joints have faulty movement patterns, which are causing overload not only at those joints but at other ones as well, and go from there. If they have an unstable joint in their back, we try and stabilize it with stabilization exercise. We test it immediately to see if that reduces their pain immediately. It should show that. If their hips are tight and they can't move their back properly, then obviously the treatment plan would have to involve some dedicated exercise for hip mobilization. Sometimes soft tissue work can be very magical for certain patients, but my bias there is not too much of it. It's a passive therapy 
and it doesn't help people to move in different ways, which again goes back to removing the cause. If I was to give the most popular example that family docs are having to deal with, which will be probably discogenic back troubles, number one, remove the cause, stop bending the disc. Number two would be to stabilize the joint, and you do that through therapeutic exercise and repatterning some of their movement patterns. And thirdly, address mobility issues where that's required, and for bad discs, it's usually tight hips. (laughs) Now, you didn't mention surgery on that list. No, for several reasons. And again, my bias is probably caused by me seeing the surgical failures. I don't see the surgical successes, so I have to give my next statements under that caveat. When I see some surgical failures, I realize right away they never should have been operated on in the first place. When I take their history and find out what conservative therapy they did prior to the surgery, some only did very misappropriate therapy. So they had no chance for the conservative therapy to get better. Uh, For example, they might have had an unstable disc, a bulging disc, and they went into a program that was all stretching or a Pilates-based program, for example. Well, of course, if they are already too mobile with an unstable disc, more mobility exercise wouldn't have helped. So there's an example where sometimes surgeons will say, well, go to PT or go to Pilates class, and if that fails, then we'll operate, not realizing that there's all different types of physical therapies. Some are stabilizing, some are mobilizing. I also see a failure in surgery in that rarely do surgeons discuss with the patient what the cause was. So I see patients, for example, with a posterior lateral disc bulge on the left. We know from our laboratory work, the most potent way to create that is forward flexion to the right. So this person had something very dominant in their life where they repeatedly flexed forward and a bit to the right. Now, curiously enough, that person in two or three years after having the disc surgery or the fusion will come back with exactly the same, only the level above because the surgeon failed to tell them what the cause was. And again, (laughs) this shouldn't happen, but I'm afraid it does. Now, having said all of that, there are some really nasty cases with people losing bowel and bladder control with nerve impingement and whatnot. In those cases, yes, surgery is indicated, of course. But it sounds like that really should be the minority of cases. I'm afraid it is. If you're new to our channel, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stuart McGill, the author of Low Back Disorders, Evidence-Based Prevention and Rehabilitation. We're discussing the treatment of back pain. Dr. McGill, who do we send our patients to for this kind of evaluation? I don't even know who does that in my town. Yeah, isn't that interesting? One weekend a month, I'm asked to put on these clinical courses and I do them around the world. I can only do one a month, though, because that's all my body can take. (laughs) These people are being trained, and there are a lot of, by the way, I'm not the only one doing this. There are a lot of people who are onto this. There are all sorts of textbooks about it. After that, I know in specific cities who I would refer people to. Is there a website or anything of you spine biomechanics people? Well, it isn't a biomechanics person. Oh, okay. Not at all. No, it's someone who understands how the spine functions, and not only the spine, how the full linkage functions. And then they can come up with the most appropriate 
corrective exercise for the movement flaws that are causing the bad discs and the bad uh, facets and ligaments and, and all the rest of it. So this could be a physical therapist, maybe? There are a lot of tremendously skilled physical therapists, but unfortunately there are a tremendous number of ones who just don't get it. And every patient who comes in, they are being mobilized, sitting on gym balls, pulling their knees to their chest in the morning, and all of these kinds of things. They get the same sort of mobilizing approach for every patient. That will work with a few patients, but it won't work with them all. So you need to find someone who has what we call a lot of clinical tools in their toolbox. And A, they know how to do the correct assessment, and B, they know how to pull out the proper tool matched to the syndrome, whatever it is, appropriately. Let's focus the rest of our time today on corrective exercise. You mentioned Pilates. Does yoga have a place? What about strength training? What can we tell people? Yeah, corrective exercise in a nutshell has to do with sparing the joints, particularly the ones that are in pain, and enhancing performance. And I don't mean not only in an athletic sense, I also mean in, for example, probably the primary cause of people seeking long-term care as they age is not really the fear of falling, but the fear of being able to get up off the ground once they've fallen. To do that, people need to preserve the ability to squat and to lunge. So when we work with some older folks, it's incredible that they are unable to get off the toilet without the fear of falling forward, or they're unable to get off the floor, but with a little bit of corrective exercise, all of a sudden they're doing it, and they're doing it very well. So there is an example where the person had the anatomy, they had the strength, they just didn't have the correct motor patterns to do it. Once they were coached on those and shown how to activate muscles in certain ways, all of a sudden they're able to do this. So that's an example of corrective exercise. Probably in the U.S., one of the most important deficits is what I call gluteal amnesia. People do not use the back of their hips or their gluteal muscles when they squat, and instead they resort to using their hamstrings and their back muscles. But once you do corrective exercise to repattern the gluteal muscles, all of a sudden their knee pain decreases because you're driving the extension through the hip joint and unloading the knee. But the added benefit is it takes the load off the back as well. So there's an example. How we go about that is through five stages, and I've written quite extensively about this in my recent textbook. But the five stages begin with this. Number one, identify the corrupted motion and motor patterns and apply the appropriate corrective exercise. The second stage is to try and build stability in those joints that need it. Generally, the spine needs stability. The hips and the shoulders need mobility. The knees need more stability, etc. The third stage would be to enhance endurance so that people can perform this perfect motion pattern throughout the day over and over again. And it's interesting when you see people get hurt, quite often they get hurt when they get tired because they lost form in how they're performing their particular motion. The fourth stage is then you can seriously start to train strength. I see that in some of the great athletes that are referred here. I ask myself, why are these people being referred for back pain when clearly they've got access to the best physicians in their own country? And the reason is, oh, it's assumed that they're good athletes. We better strength train them to rehabilitate their backs. When 
it's the faulty motor patterns that cause them to break down after a certain amount of strength training again. So they never get past that. They forgot to do stages one, two, and three to correct those faulty movement patterns so they can seriously train strength again. And the fifth stage finally is power and speed. But uh, obviously there are many people who are not interested in that and nor should they be because there's an extra risk in that. But I hope that's an encapsulation of what corrective exercise is and does and how you achieve it. And I would advise our listeners to go to Dr. McGill's website, which is backfitpro.com for more information. Uh, Thank you for being on the show today, Dr. McGill. Oh, you're welcome. We've been discussing the treatment of back pain and what role corrective exercise has with back expert Dr. Stuart McGill. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, and I don't know about you, but I'm paying much more attention to how I'm sitting today. You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For a complete program guide and downloadable podcasts, visit our website at www.reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. 